0: Increment 149 of Hebrews 2020, and we're going to continue on the oversimplification of a theory of history that was developed in its seminal stages by Bernard Lonergan in volume 25 of his collection and elsewhere. And we're also applying some lower blade data to that upper blade theory and with the expectant hope that it will spike your hope and cause hope to overflow in you by the Holy Spirit. So, Father, we thank you again that you have allowed us over the course of this past 15 or 16 months or however long it's been where we've been in diaspora or dispersion that you've kept the word coming you've kept it coming consistently and that you have allowed many believers to be consistent in the reception of your word. We know that the word as rain that falls from heaven will accomplish its purpose, accomplish the purpose for which you have sent it in the hearts and minds and lives and families of all who have received it. It's with that confidence that we continue in this study So, Father, I pray that by the Holy Spirit, hope will overflow more and more in all of us, for we ask it in Christ's name, who is our hope. Amen. We've oversimplified Lonergan's theory of history, and apologies to him, and made an analogy to the three potential trajectories of history, or lines on which history travels. And we've used Hebrews 6, 7 through 10. Now, corresponding to the three trajectories of history are three dialects, dialectics, as they're called, human nature in its dialectic with history, human sin with history, and the supernatural with history. Now, what I want to introduce today is something that corresponds, in turn, with these three dialectics corresponding in turn with the three dialectics of history are three general categories of human beings or we could even say three categories of ways of being human and of human operations or human ways of living moving and having our being corresponding to the natural Dialectic is the natural man, or that which the Greek text calls psukikos, P S U C H or chi I K O S. Psukikos, translated conveniently in some translations as a natural man, but this literally means the soulish or even the psychic man, but natural man is okay, especially given our theory of history study today. Sukikos. And that's found, for example, in 1 Corinthians 2.14. Now this person, this Sukikos person, is generally orientated to reason and is reasonably responsible and loving in a natural and human manner. This category of person has capacity for intellectual advancement and may even be gifted with a superior intellect or even with genius. Such a person is able to appreciate family values, as they're called, honesty in business practices and personal transactions. Such a man or woman, or today you might say gender-fluid person or whatever category of gendered person it is, such a person has the capacity, whether realized or not, to be appreciative of ascetic beauty, of that which is morally excellent of that which is heroic or praiseworthy. Such a person may have, and probably does have, commendable aspirations to transcend themselves, and yet is ultimately incapable of doing so. Self can't transcend self, not on its own. So such a person, in fact, may be able to focus their attention on what is reasonably and almost universally considered to be true as opposed to false and inauthentic, to be noble or honorable as opposed to shameful and vulgar, to appreciate impartiality as opposed to injustice and inequity, to recognize, in some measure, what is pure as opposed to promiscuous and abusive. They are able to appreciate whatever is pleasing or agreeable, appealing, or they can focus on anything of moral excellence or on things worthy of commendation. In other words, Philippians 4.8 can be the mental activity of the natural man or woman as well as the Christian man or woman or the spiritual man, as we're going to see, or woman. Christians, in fact, ought to credit the majority of their unbelieving counterparts with that capacity and not assume there is no human good apart from Christian or otherwise religious faith. But it must be said of the sukikas or natural person that they are incapable of understanding or of apprehending spiritual realities. Things called mystery, which are only called mystery because they are too intelligible for the natural man and foolish. Altogether for the sinful or the man or woman controlled by sin. And so the Sukikas, or natural person is incapable of understanding or apprehending spiritual realities, things that are beyond intelligibility or human intelligibility. Things that have too much intelligibility. Things that are of a realm called the mystery of God's will, for example. Things that require a supernatural illumination. But there is also the dialectic of sin. The dialectic of sin with history corresponds to the merely fleshly person called sarkikos. That's a second Category of a way of human being, That's sarkikos. It's S-A-R-K-I-K-O-S. Sarkikos. S-A-R-K-I-K-O-S. Plural is oI. Sarkikos in the Greek language of the New Testament, for example, in First Corinthians three one. This person, like all human beings, on one level, is a rational animal. But the sarkikos person is one for whom rational and reasonable is not entirely descriptive. While animal is descriptive of such a sarkikos person. Now, when I use the word animal, I don't mean that man is an animal, but that man has an animal-like nature, which is sublated by his human nature. I don't want to go into that in depth, and I can some other time. For example, the Beast of Revelation is an apocalyptic and satirical description of Nero Caesar. But it's also a pretty good designation of the purely carnal person whose orientation is solely to what benefits oneself and fulfills one's ambitions, dreams, and desires with no consideration to others, no consideration of God or of the natural or supernatural virtues except to pretend to have them and to honor them. People may put up a sign in their yard that says, Hate has no place here, in order to signal that they're virtuous. Whether they are or not, who knows? Who knows? But to- today there is the thing that people call virtue signaling, which means it's a way of saying, I'm good, you're bad, I'm accepting of all humanity, you're obviously a racist, I'm this, I'm that, I'm good. And it's a Pharisaical movement, not unlike the Pharisees of Jesus' time. And so the Sarkikos man can virtue signal, but he has no virtue. He doesn't have really natural virtue even. He doesn't operate in natural reason. And he's all about himself in a world unmediated by, by meaning and not populated by others. He drives like no one else is on the road. He thinks his goals and aspirations override the goals and aspirations of others and to hell with with them on his way up. Again, I'm oversimplifying, though, and I want to make sure that you understand that. To take my oversimplification as the total theory that Lonergan proposed is to do a dishonor to Lonergan but I am oversimplifying his theory of history and more importantly I'm adding lower blade data to that oversimplification the Sarkikos person and that category of persons are people who ascend to social, political, cultural and even religious dominance in a time of historical decline i say that again It's the Sarkikos man or woman who ascends to social, political, cultural, and even religious dominance in times of historical decline, especially in that which Lonergan calls major decline. That'll whet your thirst for if you want to study this in more detail in his writings. Again, I'm oversimplifying. For any given human life can gravitate toward... And remain in any one of these categories. The aim of the New Testament teaching. Is to move human beings into that third category. Which is spiritual. One that corresponds to the supernatural dialectic. With history. That being the spiritual person. And I'll write that up here. The third category. The spiritual person. Which is in the New Testament Greek writings called pneumatikos, P N E U M A. Notice the word spirit there T I K O S. Pneumatikos. And that looks like this in an English transliteration. Pneumatikos. O I is plural. 1 Corinthians 2.15 is a prominent place for that. Once a person or persons moves into this category, it is the aim of New Testament teaching to encourage them to stay there and hence to hold fast to the confession that got them there, as it were, and to walk in the spirit, to use the walk metaphor in Galatians 25. The Spirit is the one who gave them new life and a new way of living and moving and being. And so Paul says, since you've been given life by the Spirit in Galatians 5.25, walk by the Spirit. Also in Galatians 5.16, walk by the Spirit. The result of walking in the Spirit, or we'd say the destination of it, That is, the result of living and moving and being in Christ, being given life and movement and being in him. The result of that is the fruit of the Spirit. Speaking of produce, as ground naturally produces vegetation useful for those for whom it is farmed, so the fruit of the Holy Spirit is supernatural produce, namely the supernatural virtues that become a power, for the renaissance of society. You don't have to signal that you have those virtues. You just walk in the spirit. Paul took to task some of the saints in Corinth for being yet carnal, he says. He called them saints. They were what we would say saved people. He chided them for acting as mere men, however, mere anthropoi in 1 Corinthians 3, 4. What did he mean? He wasn't reprimanding them for being human. He was reprimanding them for acting as human beings reduced to the level of mere rational animals minus the rational He reproved them because many of the saints, and that's what they're called in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, saints in Corinth, were running in herds. Some following or claiming special allegiance to Cephas or Cephas, some to Apollo, some to Paul, some even to Christ, of course, to the exclusion of others. It's possible to say I am of Christ and be entirely factious about it, divisive about it, and judgmental of others, as if they aren't of Christ by your judgment. And they were doing so, therefore, claiming these allegiances in a divisive and self-serving manner. In some cases, we could call that the birth of denominations. In some cases. Paul later described the behavior of some of them as sexually immoral, gluttonous, selfish, unforgiving, even brutal. They may have gloried in a reputation of being philosophically wise or culturally refined and superior, but that was a mere facade and a veneer covering their venality and cupidity. This is the class of human beings that constitute the dialectic of sin. And some of them, sadly, are saints. When historical decline finds its way into the philosophy, the politics, the intelligentsia, and the religions of man, then sin becomes law, and decline becomes major decline. I want to say that again. When historical decline, or the reign of sin, minus reason, or defiance, defying reason, finds its way into the philosophy, the politics, the intelligentsia, and the religions of man, then sin becomes law, and decline becomes major decline. When sin, which is lawlessness, becomes law, then society heads towards chaos, disorder, disintegration. Humanity tends toward fragmentation and polarization, then atomization, until it's every person for themselves, like Israel in the days when there was no king in Israel and when Yahweh was not honored as Israel's sovereign ruler, Judges 21-25. So we're we're still dealing in this increment, increment 149 of Hebrews, And really, within the text of Hebrews, properly, we're still dealing with the dialectics of history. We've added into the mix the three general categories of humanity, or of being human, which correspond to three dialectics of history. The Sukikos person to the natural dialectic and the natural progress of history. The sarkikos person to the dialectic of sin and to the decline of history. And the pneumaticos person or the pneumatic person to the supernatural dialectic and the redemption or the renaissances in history. Now we'll proceed at this time to the interiority of human beings. I've gone really from the outward to the inward here. The interiority of human beings and here it is human action is preceded by human intellect the actions that affect human history besides its accidents like floods and hurricanes typhoons tsunamis famines plagues are actions that spring from human intellects. I'll say that again, the actions that affect and actually constitute human history, besides its accidents, are actions that spring from human intellects. The intellect of the natural person is a potency, a potency. That's kind of Aristotelian and, and Thomas Aquinas type language, but it's a potency. It can be educated and developed to be attentive, intelligent, at least with common sense, reasonable, responsible, and even humanly loving. The natural human can be an attentive child, an intelligent student of history, of mathematics, language, science, art. He or she can be a responsible citizen, a loving spouse, a heroic soldier. The intellect of the mindset, or let's just say this, the intellect or the mindset of the carnal person or Sarkikos, fleshly person, is death, says Paul. That's pretty profound in Romans 8.6. Romans 8.6 is a central verse in our upper blade data, or lower blade data. The intellect or the mindset of the carnal person, as Paul calls it, or Sarkikos, fleshly human, is death. As such, the Sarkikos person adds momentum to social entropy and chaos, to fragmentation or factionalism. For sin is akin to the flesh, capital F L E S H, which Paul designates as an enemy, as an, a supernatural, or let's say supra natural enemy. And sin is a progressive disunity, a movement towards social deterioration, the death of the heat of fervency and the cooling of love to absolute zero, which is the death of civilization. I'll say that again because this is kind of a cosmological analogy regarding entropy, which has many different meanings in many different Context. I'll say it again. The Sarkikos person adds momentum to social entropy and chaos and disorder, to fragmentation or factionalism. And that reason for that is that sin is akin to the flesh and sin is a progressive disunity, a movement towards social deterioration and the death of the heat of love's fervency and the cooling of love to absolute zero, which is the death of a civilization. But the mindset on the spirit, or we would say the mindset of the spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit, is life and peace, says the apostle in the same verse, Romans 8, 6. The spiritual person is tuned or attuned to the mind of the spirit, which leads to life and peace. Not only inward peace, that which the Spartans called esoteric harmony, and peace for the spiritual person, but it also leads to exoteric harmony, life and harmony in society as a result of a supernatural dialectic. So the mindset of the spirit leads, because intellect precedes action, the mindset of the spirit leads to human actions of a kind that both subdues the sinful and transcends the natural. The mindset of the spirit leads to human actions of a kind that subdue the sinful and transcend the natural. In other words, by the Holy Spirit, we can transcend ourselves. In 1 Corinthians 2.15, the apostle describes the intellectual activity of the spiritual person by saying that the spiritual person discerns or evaluates, or we could even suggest interprets properly everything and yet is not discerned by anyone. That is, anyone who's not spiritual just can't figure out a spiritual person. They don't know where they're coming from, where they're going. They're perplexed and puzzled by them. Sometimes they regard them as anomalies. Sometimes they persecute them. Sometimes they crucify them. Today, they dox, troll, cancel Slander, malign, and assassinate them by slander and maligning. In John, Jesus, speaking for himself as the spiritual man and speaking by the authority of his divine father, said, I assure you, we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus, who came to him at night, under the cover of darkness. Jesus was speaking as the spiritual man to the natural man, represented by Nicodemus, who was a natural man, but also a master theologian of Israel. Go figure. The natural man cannot accept the supernatural testimony of the Father and the Son, which is rampant throughout Hebrews and throughout the New Testament. That's why he needs to be born again, born from above by the Holy Spirit. He must have, and listen carefully to this, he must have a birth preceded by the breaking of water in his natural mother. Therefore, he must be born of water to be a natural man. But to be a spiritual man, he has to be born again by the breaking forth of the water of the Holy Spirit. John 7, 38-39, Jesus spoke of out of the belly of Messiah will come rivers of water. And he said, he was speaking of what? The Holy Spirit. When a baby is born, it's preceded by the water breaking in his natural mother. When a man is born again, it's preceded by the breaking forth of the water of the Holy Spirit in regeneration. A bath called regeneration. Titus 3.5. This isn't talking about water baptism, friends. At least, let's just say it this way, in a conciliatory way. It's not necessarily having reference to it, though water baptism can be an outward testimony to an inward reality. So that's why the natural man needs to be born again, born from above by the Spirit. He must have a birth by the breaking forth of the water of the Spirit as he already had a birth preceded by and announced by the breaking of water in his natural mother. Nicodemus, a master teacher of Israel, didn't even understand Jesus when Jesus spoke of being born again. The master teacher of Israel asked, Shall I go back into my mother's womb and emerge again? Such is the incapacity of the natural man, even if he's a master teacher. A theologian, a pastor, a TV evangelist, a professor, a scientist, a philosopher, a genius by genetic accident. even if he's a bishop or a priest or a pastor who insists that being born of water and of the spirit in John 3 3:35 3, means "by water baptism and by the spirit. As if God causes you to be born again when you enact water baptism or go through it. The spiritual person discerns that the baptism that counts is the baptism by the Spirit into union with Christ and the drinking of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 13. The bath of regeneration, as it's called in Titus 3, 5 does not occur in water baptism during it or after it, but when the Spirit vivifies the natural man before he evokes faith in him. We don't have faith to be saved. We are saved to have faith. We are given life. Then we're given faith. Now speaking of the spiritual person, right after Paul described the spiritual person in 1 Corinthians 2.15, he identified as being one himself. We who are spiritual. He said it again in Galatians 6.1 and 2. We who are spiritual. He identified as being one, not in pride or arrogance he was just telling the truth he was identified as being a spiritual person himself and then he said of all spiritual persons we have the mind of Christ notice how close 2.15 of 1 Corinthians is to 2.16 now the implications of that are more stunning and astonishing than you've ever dreamed and that I've ever imagined. Now, if the intellect precedes action, then the actions of spiritual people proceed from a pre-motion in the mind of Christ. The implications of this on the impact on history by spiritual persons is the very essence of the supernatural dialectic, as Lonergan called it, and of renaissance in history. What I would call the pulling up of the trajectory of history to levels of greater human prosperity and well-being to an ordered peace and freedom that once again allows for creative innovation an economics of entrepreneurship with empathy, a society of equal opportunity and privilege governed by minimally invasive law and order. Renewals within history require spiritual awakenings not ideological wokeness let me say that again renewals within history require spiritual awakenings not ideological wokeness Marxism already killed a couple hundred million people do we need to add more to that Renewals in history are not easy and smooth. We wish they were. They're not. Renewals in history are not easy and smooth, for there is the clash of the eons, the desires of the flesh militating against the desires of the spirit, there's the dialectic of sin versus the supernatural dialectic. There is the ignorance of the unreasonable and the tendency to think of Christians as the enemies of humanity, as, the, as happened in Rome. And there is the probability with the clash of the dialectic of sin with the dialectic of the supernatural, there is the probability, if not the inevitability, of persecution, even the martyrdom of some, if not many. But then, as the Latin saying is translated into English, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The Christian martyr is the man or woman who is most assimilated to his or her master. And as death works in the martyr, life works in the church and spills over to the world. That which makes for renaissances in history is the manifestation of the life of Jesus in the mortal bodies of spiritual persons with the mind of Christ that leads to actions and virtues that are supernatural and indeed divine. For according to the exceeding great and precious promises of God, those whom the Spirit awakens to faith and in whose hearts he pours out the love of God, and whom he causes to overflow with hope, all supernatural virtues, are partakers even now of the divine nature. How much more when we see him as he is. Now speaking of hope, as we close, we move forward slightly in Hebrews in our text, Hebrews 6.11. And we intensely desire, and I include myself in this group, we, the pastor who wrote this, and pastors of my time who have this same desire. We intensely desire for each one of you to demonstrate the same high motivation with regard to the final realization of hope. Verse 12, in order not to be sluggish. Now the word nothroy here is related to nathos, those who are not legitimate heirs. In other words, act like people not illegitimate, but legitimate heirs of promise mimetic of those who through faith, mimetic means imitators of, those who through faith and perseverance come into possession of the promises. That closes out a section of Hebrews. We're not necessarily done with that section, but it closes out a section and then goes into Hebrews 6.13 and how Abraham is exemplary of one who through faith and perseverance became a possessor Of the promises. In uh, in other words, he became entirely assured that the promises given to him, that he would be the father of many nations and that in his seed all the nations would be blessed, he came to that assurance through faith and perseverance. It's my desire that you hold on to this hope, the hope of eschatological renewal. Until the end, the end of your life, the end of your time on this earth, as I wish it for myself. And so, Father, we thank you for what you've allowed us to see in the word of truth. May this light stay within us and stay turned on as we continue in hope, continue in faith, continue in love. For these three remain as the supernatural dialectic that issues in renaissances in history, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these and the greatest development of these is love, the gift of your love, Father. May we continue in your love in its two dimensions by the power of the Spirit. May our actions be pre-moved by the intellect of Christ and the intent of Christ. May they be empowered by the Holy Spirit and may they cumulatively add to a renaissance of history as we await the coming of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who will bring salvation for all creation and liberation too. We thank you and praise you, Father, and worship you In the name of our Savior Jesus Christ, through whom all of your blessings are mediated to us. Amen.